Welcome to Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. On Folk Roots Radio, we're all about the music and the people that make it. Now coming up, we have a very special episode of the show as we give over the whole of this hour to the first half of a two-hour conversation with musician, music arranger and producer Paul Mills. Paul has been part of the Canadian folk music scene and recording industry for over 45 years and produced or engineered over 200 albums, including recording all but one of the albums by folk icon Stan Rogers. Well, as the time has come to hang up the headphones and shut down his production studio, it's the perfect time to look back at his career. So settle down and enjoy Paul Mills in Conversation on Folk Roots Radio with music from some of the great artists who joined him in the studio. Enjoy. Paul Mills with the Stub Stomp, the theme tune for his guitar-picking alter-ego Curly Boy Stubbs. Paul Mills has been working in music for over 45 years now as a musician and arranger and the producer and engineer of over 200 folk music recordings, including albums by Stan Rogers, Sharon Lois and Bram, Terry Kelly, Ron Hines and John Allen Cameron. Paul Mills was appointed to the Order of Canada in June of 2017 and he's our special guest in the studio today. It's great to have you join us, Paul. Oh, Jim, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking. You know, when I look back at your career, it, it blows my mind <laughs> to think how much you've been involved in. The interesting thing is that for a lot of that time, I think, and certainly until, what, the mid-90s, you were actually also working at the CBC? Yes, I was. I started uh, working at CBC in 1972 as a music producer, and uh and I went on to produce drama, and then I ended up in management, which I hated, so I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and you had started producing, I'm assuming, during the time you were actually at the CBC oh, as yes. well, because yes. I think 72 was when you graduated from Western in London. Yeah, I was, I was actually, uh, I graduated as a chemical engineer in 1968, and I started working as an engineer for Procter & Gamble, and I didn't enjoy it at all. So I went back to school, uh, and it uh, ended up... Uh, Back at Western in postgrad, and um, and it was during the postgrad years that the London music scene was really starting to pop. Uh, Smales Pace Coffee House was happening, and uh, and the Hub Coffee House at Western, and so on. And that's when I really started to get into music, and I decided that my ideal career would be a music producer, and so I became one. <laughs> so, did you go back to school to train in audio engineering, or did, was that basically no, self-taught? It was self-taught. I, I I enrolled in a PhD program in chemical engineering, thinking I would teach because I enjoyed university life. But what I really enjoyed was music. That's when I discovered it. Now, you're not from a musical family, is is that right? No, no. Interestingly, I'm not. My mother was a music fan, and she was my 
my big supporter, but there wasn't a lot of music in the house. My brother didn't play music or anything. So it was really through uh, friends that I uh, got into uh, music big time. I always like those first stories because I always like to say, well, tell us about your first guitar. When did you first pick a guitar up? I got a guitar for my uh, 13th birthday. Uh, my parents knew that I had a, I wanted a guitar. I'd been playing ukulele, and uh, so they got me a guitar, and uh, and it went on from there. And so you you taught yourself, or yep. did you take lessons no, at I the taught, start? No, I taught myself. Because you're a pretty fine player, I have to be Thank honest. You. That <laughs> you know, I actually got to know you more th through Curly Boy Stubbs because right. I I picked up some of your playing at at Home County. Right. It took me a little while to realize that Paul Mills, the producer, was actually still Curly Boy Stubbs. Now, there's an interesting Curly Boy Stubbs story, right? Tell us how that came about, because, well, I think explain why you needed the alter ego and yeah. how that actually happened. Well, actually, I was at CBC. Uh, it was 1974, I believe. I was uh, developing a, 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 folk, a network folk music program called Touch the Earth, and we, it was just in the planning stages, and I needed... I needed material. I needed uh, content. So I got a, a telex. You remember them? I got a telex from a producer in Winnipeg who said, there's a guy out here starting a folk festival. And he gave me, he told me the lineup. And I thought, wow, perfect. So I flew to Winnipeg and I met with Mitch Podolik, who was starting the festival. And I negotiated broadcast rights. And uh, after all that was said and done, uh, we got back to his house, and he's a fine banjo player, and I picked up a guitar, and we started to jam. And he said, oh, you're a good player. He says, you'll have to do a workshop at the festival. I said, no, 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 that would not look right. I'm there for CBC. Let's not mix things up. Okay, so I go back home. Two weeks later, he calls me up. He says, okay, you're going to play a workshop at the festival. You're going to be doing a workshop with John Hammond Jr., and your name will be Curly Boy Stubbs, all right? <laughs> so... I said, okay, Mitch. And uh, so that happened. And then a, a couple of months later, I was I was in the studio working with Stan Rogers on his first album. And Stan caught wind of this Curly Boy story. And he said, that's perfect. The credit on the album will be Paul Mills' producer and Curly Boy Stubbs on guitar. And from there, it stuck. <laughs> well, it, it actually is a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful moniker, it really is, for, <laughs> for a musician. And actually, I... I kind of like that idea that, you know, you have the alter ego when you get up and play. Is it mostly when you play, do, do you like to be Curly Boy Stubbs, or do you often go up and play as Paul Mills? I, when I play live, I play as Paul Mills, but the, the kind of running gag has been the album credits. Right. Uh, when, when, there's a, when I play guitar on somebody's album, uh, the credit will be Curly Boy Stubbs. Now, Curly Boy Stubbs, the Stub Stump that we just listened mm -hmm. to, was actually on your album from 2006. Yes. The Other Side of the Glass, which, interestingly, for a man who's produced 200 albums for other people, is the only one that is your album alone. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I did, uh, I did an album with my son, Trevor, uh, last fall. But other than that, no, that's the only one. You've now retired from producing. Yes. We're actually going to focus on the producing for the rest of the, mm -hmm. the time we're together. Do you think you might make another album now and, and maybe produce that? Or is it? do you think those days are, are, are gone I too? don't know. I may. I may. It's been in my mind to... Uh, I've, I've been getting back into playing live a little more and, and really enjoying that. And it's crossed my mind that maybe I should sit down and make an album. But I'll have to go to somebody else's studio because I've dismantled my studio. <laughs> Uh, oh, you've dismantled it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So that that's Millstream, right? The Millstream, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. 
Well, it's great when I was checking out your website online. It's great to actually be able to 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 look behind the scenes because it's nice when you're actually looking at a a website for a studio to to get descriptions of all of the different yeah. equipment yeah. and everything. And obviously, it took some time to put that together. Yeah, I started building this. I quit the CBC job in 1996, and I started to put together my home studio around that time. And I, it evolved over the years. Um, and it became a nice little joint, actually. <laughs> so you are very pleased with it. Yes. Let's start to talk about the producing. We're going to get back to some music mm-hmm. just now. Mm-hmm. Stan Rogers, yes. um, I mean, a, a folk icon, uh, gone far, far too soon. Indeed. Uh, I didn't realize that when I was preparing for this interview, I didn't realize you actually produced all but one of Stan's albums. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we did five albums together. And then after his... Uh, departure, we uh, put out a, a couple of other albums uh, of, of unreleased material and so on. So, yeah. We, we've selected music to play today. And uh, when we were setting this up, I said, well, you know, who do you want to play? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some Stan Rogers lined up. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about when you first met Stan. I first met him um, in London, Ontario. I was going to uh, school. I was in grad school at that point. And uh, he was, uh, I was playing the university coffee house, The Hub, with a woman named Mary McCarthy, and or Mary Chapman, as she was then known. We were the headline act, and Stan was the opening act. And I was backstage tuning, and my wife Bev came back and said, you got to come out and hear this guy. So I came out, and we listened to Stan with that voice. That <laughs> voice is remarkable. I mean, it is. Every, yeah. it's, it's that voice that you... Instantly know it's Stan Rogers, that incredibly yes. warm baritone. Uh, incredible, indeed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we uh, we became friends that night. We ended up back at Mary's house jamming until the sun came up, and uh, and uh, we became friends. And he was a frequent visitor. And in fact, he he fell in love with London and the music scene, so he moved to London, and he lived there for a couple of years. So we have some Stan Rogers lined up. What we're going to listen to? This is from uh, the first album that we did together. It's called Make and Break Harbor. Uh, the first album we did was, uh, the, the album was called Fogarty's Cove, and it was largely music based on the East Coast. Now, Stan is not from the Maritimes, but his parents are, and he spent all, pretty well all of his childhood summers in Nova Scotia, and he always said that he, in his heart, he felt that he was a Maritimer, and so this album was a good coming out album for him. One of his aunts said, why don't you write some songs about wh- where your parents come from, and so he did. And that's what this album is about, and Make and Break Harbor is from that album. You know, I did not realize until today that he actually wasn't from the Maritimes. I just no. kind of assumed that that was the case. Born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> this is Stan Rogers with Make and Break Harbor from the 1976 album Fogarty's Cove. And you're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. How still lies the bay in the light western airs Which blow from the crimson horizon Once more we tack home with a dry empty hole Saving gas with the breezes so fair She's a kindly Cape Islander but still sound But so lost in the long lighter's shadow Make and break and make do 
But the fish are so few That she won't be replaced Should she founder of before the big war when the cod went so cheap but so plenty foreign trawlers go by now with long seeing eyes taking all where we seldom take any and the young folk don't stay with the fishermen's way Long ago they all moved to the cities And the ones left behind old and tired and blind Can't work for a pound, for a penny In make and break harbor the boats are so few Too many are pulled up and rotten And empty old nets hung to dry are blown away, lost and forgotten. Now I can see the big draggers have stirred up the bay. Leaving lobster traps smashed on the bottom Can they think it don't pay To respect the old ways That make and break men have not forgotten For we still keep our time To the turn of the tide In this boat that I built with my father Still lifts to the sky The one longer and I Still talk like old friends on the water In make and break harbor The boats are so few Too many are pulled up and rotten And empty old nets hung to dry Are blown away, lost and forgotten In make and break harbor The boats are so few Too many are pulled up and rotten Most houses stand empty Old nets hung to dry are blown away, lost and forgotten. Hi, this is Lizzie Hoyt, and you are listening to the fabulous Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall.
That's John Allen Cameron with Butterfingers Medley from the 1979 Freeborn Man album, which is another album you produced, wasn't it, Paul? Yes, it was. It was uh, It was such fun working with John Allen. We actually recorded the bulk of it uh, in uh, Halifax at a studio there because he, uh, he was living there at the time, I believe. And, uh, and then we finished it up uh, at a studio in London, the same studio that I recorded Stan Rogers, uh, Springfield Sound. So it's, uh, yeah, and he, he was a pleasure to work with, John Allen. And I like to call him the fastest thumb in the East because he played that 12-string guitar with his thumb pick, all downstrokes. Huh. Amazing, playing those tunes. Now, before that, we had Stan Rogers and Make and Break Harbor. And when we were listening to, to that song, you mentioned that actually David Woodhead was playing bass on that song, but also lap steel. Also lap steel, yeah. Yeah. David's one of the finest musicians I've ever worked with. Uh, he's an amazing player, not only on bass, uh, but also things like lap steel, ukulele, mandolin, you name it. So getting started as a producer, was that a much of a shift for you? Not really. No, I felt much more at home doing that than I, than I did doing chemical engineering. When I joined the CBC in 1972, I managed to bluff my way in as a music producer and but I was pretty uh, wet behind the ears at that point, and uh, and so it was a little bit of baptism by fire. I was thrown into the studio producing incredible uh, artists, and I I had I had a couple of uh, producers there who kind of mentored me a little bit. But I learned on the job at CBC, and it was uh, it was quite something. I remember one of the earliest projects I did. In fact, the very first album I ever produced was for CBC Radio. And it was a 16-piece jazz band, Nimmons and 9 Plus 6, with Oscar Peterson on piano. And that was talk about baptism by fire. There it is, you know. But it worked out well. And, uh, and so in the 10 years that I produced music for CBC, I learned, I learned my craft. Because you were based in the drama department at CBC, weren't you? Uh, later. In uh, later, okay. Yeah, during the 70s, I was in what they then called the variety department, which was the, the department that produced popular music. And uh, I became a drama producer in 1983. So when you were producing people like Stan in the early days and then John Allen Cameron, which studios did you go to to do those? Both of those albums were uh, produced either entirely or in part at a studio just outside of London, Ontario, called Springfield Sound. It's no longer there. It's now a private residence. But uh, I found out about that studio through a friend of mine, and we ended up going there and loved it. We actually lived at the facility. There was bedrooms downstairs, and we lived there for a week or so while we made the albums. So I guess a lot of the connections you made through the, the coffeehouse circuit and people mm-hmm. that you started to meet in the folk scene, because the folk scene in those days must have, you know, be getting pretty exciting. I mean, it, you know, obviously we were talking the 70s, not the 60s, but yeah. the coffeehouse scene was really starting to build, wasn't it? It was. You know, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, during the uh, 60s, of course, folk music was, in the early 60s, it was on top. It was on mainstream radio and all the rest of it. And that kind of petered out a little bit. But it experienced a resurgence in the early 70s. And it was during that time that a lot of the uh, folk festivals in Canada sprouted up. Uh, up until then, there was like the Mariposa Festival, and that was about it. But during the 70s, we got all those Western festivals, you know, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary so on, uh, the Home County Festival in London in 1974, and so on. So it's um, it was an interesting time, and that's when we had uh, the network folk music program Touch the Earth, which Sylvia Tyson hosted 
Uh, it went, we went on the air with that in 1975, and we're on for five and a half years. I like to think that it was influential in some ways in terms of getting folk music uh, across the country. That probably was a really good leg up, wasn't it, to, to, to get you started in the, the, you know, as a producer? Oh, absolutely. It was, uh, well, it was a continuation of my producing work for CBC, but it got me across the country, and I got to meet a lot of people. Yeah, it was an important uh, phase in my in my career, I guess, uh, making contacts and all of that. We're going to go back to the music with another Stan Rogers song. Now, <clears throat> interestingly, this is <clears throat> Stan Rogers. It's actually an album that was put out after he passed. And, and you know, the whole story of, of how Stan died is just <clears throat> so tragic. Obviously, somebody that, that knew him well at that point, it must have been a, a complete shock to, to find out what happened. It was terrible. Um we had started the album in the, I believe it was in the fall of 1982. And uh, it was an album um, of songs that he uh, wrote about Ontario. The first album was mostly about the East Coast. Uh, the album Northwest Passage was mostly about the West. So he, he actually decided to sit down and write songs about the province that he was born and raised in, Ontario. And he told me at the time he was filling the gap in the map. <laughs> and... Uh, so that was the concept for the album, and we started recording it, and we finished all of the recording in the spring of 1983. And then he went off on tour, and he was in uh, at the Kerrville Festival in, in Texas, and it was when he was on his way home from that that he was in that terrible plane fire. Uh, the plane landed in Cincinnati and burst into flames, and he didn't make it. That night that we found out about that was one of the worst days of my life. He was he was my best friend at the time. It's yeah. interesting because you know when you you look back, it's inevitable because we you know we're talking nineteen eighty three to wonder what he would have achieved mm. had he, you know that not happened. Yeah, no, the mind boggles. He was one of the best songwriters, if not the best songwriter I've ever worked with. And at that point in his life, at thirty three years of age, he had written this body of work, which stands the test of time today. And it's still there and still relevant and still listened to. Imagine what would have happened if he had lived another 30 or 40 years. You know, really. Well, the, the, I think the thing about Stan Rogers' song is that they're, they're complete. You know, that mm. they, you never feel like you're listening to a, a half-finished no. Stan Rogers song. I mean, it, isn't that one of the, the keys to a, you know, to a really gifted songwriter? I think so. And, and he's also, he's also a, a brilliant writer in terms of, there's that old saying that says, don't tell me, show me. So if you listen to his songs, there are images in the lyrics. He paints pictures with his words, and that's what makes them so compelling. You picked a track from the From Fresh Water album. Mm -hmm. What are we going to listen to? We're going to listen to White Squall, which is, uh, which is a, a song about uh, a, sh a ship running into trouble you know, on the Great Lakes, where storms can can uh, blow up uh, rather quickly and waves can be huge. It's a, it's a beautifully written song about this tragedy. This is Stan Rogers with White Squall from the album From Freshwater. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. Now 
It's just my luck to have the watch with nothing left to do Watch the deadly waters glide as we roll north to the Sioux Wonder when they'll turn again and pitch us to the rail Whirl off one more youngster in the gale The kid was so damn eager It was all so big and new We never had to tell him twice Or find him work to do Evenings on the mess deck He was always first to sing He'd show us pictures of the girl He'd read in spring But I told that kid a hundred times Don't take the lakes for granted They go from calm to a hundred knots So fast they seem enchanted But tonight some red-eyed wired girl Lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into it's gone. Now it's a thing that us old-timers know In the sultry summer calm There comes a blow from nowhere And it goes off like a bomb And a fifteen-thousand-tonner Can be thrown upon her beam while the gale takes all before it with a scream The kid was on the hatches Lying staring at the sky From where I stood I swear I could see tears fall from his eyes So I hadn't the heart to tell him That he should be on a line Even on a night so warm and kind but I told that kid a hundred times Don't take the lakes for granted They go from calm to a hundred knots So fast they seem enchanted But tonight some red-eyed Wyrton girl Lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into a white squall When it struck, he sat up with a start I roared to him, get down But for all that he could hear I could as well not make a sound So I clung there to the stanchions And I felt my face go pale As he crawled hand over hand along the rail Now I could feel her healing over With the fury of the blow I watched the rail go under, then so terrible and slow Then like some great dog she shook herself and roared upright again Far over side I heard him calling But I told that kid a hundred times don't take the licks for granted They go from calm to a hundred knots so fast they seem enchanted but tonight some red-eyed Wyrton girl lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into a white squall So it's just my luck to have the watch with nothing left to do Watch the deadly waters glide as we roll north to the sea. 
wonder when they'll turn again and pitch us to the rail and whirl off one more youngster in the gale. And I tell these kids a hundred times, don't take the lakes for granted. They go from calm to a hundred knots, so fast they seem enchanted. But tonight, some red-eyed, wired and girl, I'm staring at the wall. And her lover's gone into a white squall. Hi there, this is Ellen Fraze, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall. That's Dan Rogers with White Squall from the 1983 album from Freshwater. Paul Mills is our special guest in the Folk Roots Radio studio today. We're chatting about his career in music. 45 years, Mm -hmm. 200 albums, (laughs) and nearly every Stan Rogers album. Yeah, all but one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a good run for sure. And uh, this was the last album that we did together. Uh, as I said, we finished recording it in the spring of 83. And it was uh, June the 2nd, 1983, that he died. We actually started mixing this album the day after his funeral. That was tough. Now, you mentioned that when you were in the studio as well, I mean, there's an orchestration <clears throat> on, yeah, on this album. This album uh, was actually a, co- a co-production with CBC. They provided the funding for it. And uh, Stan and I decided to uh, take advantage of that and orchestrate a number of the songs on the album. So we actually had uh, strings and horns and so on. Um, Stan actually uh, did one of the arrangements. And uh, his voice is so strong and so huge that it it works well with an orchestrated arrangement. It really does. A lot of the folk purists uh, didn't like this, of course. Uh, but we liked it, and uh, and it still stands today. I think is a very good album, if I do say so. Was it the album produced at the CBC or in it a, was. a private studio? Well, it was. Uh, the tracks were done at Grant Avenue Studios in Hamilton, which was Danny Lenoir's Daniel Lenoir, excuse me, uh, studio. Uh, but it was finished and uh, mixed at the uh, CBC studio in Toronto. Yeah. And the orchestration was that at the at that the was C- CBC. That yeah. was at the CBC. Yeah. Yeah, we had an 18-piece string section, a couple of French horns. It was great. And you were mentioning, while we were listening to, to that track, I think you said there, were, there was 10 different guitar tracks on there? I, I think, if, I'm, if my memory serves me, there's 10 guitar tracks on that. Uh, so it's a, it's a big uh, orchestration of guitars in the back. And I, I think it sounds great. So t- take us through how you would actually you know, put a, uh, a song like that together. It's always fascinates me when you have so many moving mm. pieces, you know, especially because, you know, on one side you've got people say, well, you know, live off the floor is best. And yeah. then you've got this other situation where, you know, tracks get built. In a lot of the albums, in fact, most of the albums that I've, I've produced, I'd like to, I like to do the vocals separately because I like to pay attention and make sure those vocals are the best they can possibly be. Now, with some artists, they have to play and sing together, and that's fine. And we do that live off the floor. But in Stan's case, we did the vocals separately pretty much all the time. And uh, it allowed us to really get the best possible sound and the best possible performance uh, of each song that way. You know, one of the things I've noticed in just the time of preparing for for this conversation and also mm. listening to the music, you do have a wonderful sound 
to the music that you produce. I love Thank the you. way that the instruments get space to breathe and mm. and you can feel the vocal just floating over the top. There must be quite an art to trying to to get that to happen, is it? Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's an art or uh, it's it's something. One of my rules is I want to understand every single word of the lyric. The lyric is is as important a part of the song as the melody and the rhythm. So you'll hear on a lot of all of my productions that the vocal is very much out front. And in terms of the arrangements, I like to ensure that the arrangement is true to the original player's style. Like when you hear these albums and you, and then you go to a club and hear the performer, you're going to hear them either alone or maybe with a bass player. And I've heard so many albums where I listen to the, the artist's album and then I hear them live and it doesn't sound anything like them, like right, the album. completely different, you know? yeah. But I, I, I like to try to stay true to the original sound and feel of the artist. So that's that. those are the things I strive for in, in uh, producing and coming up with instrumentation and arrangements and so on. Did the fact that Stan was, I would have said, fairly prolific as, mm -hmm. a, as a songwriter, the fact that he was going in and out of the studio working on different albums, did that change the way that he performed? I always wonder whether how much being in the recorded environment actually changes the, the performance of the artist and, and helps them develop. I don't know about that or, or whether the reverse is the case. Okay. Where, uh, I mean, Stan was a, a brilliant live performer. He gave it his all every time he went on stage. And uh, when he came into the studio, he brought a lot of that spirit with him. Certainly, yeah. great conversation. Let's get back to the music. We're going to change horses completely <laughs> because yes. we're going to play Sharon, Lois, and Bram. Yep just now. Tell us a little bit about working with them. Well, I started working with them in the early 80s. They had already done a couple of albums with a producer named Bill Usher, and they wanted to uh, uh, work with uh, another producer, and uh, they actually assigned me to produce an album with Eric Nagler, who was a guy who was on their, on their uh, television program and a children's entertainer, and I found out later that that was my audition. And they liked what I did with Eric, so they hired me to be their producer. And I ended up doing uh, a number of albums with them over about a 20-year period. And this uh, particular song is from, I think, the second or third album I did with them. The album was called Happy Birthday. And it was all songs about uh, birthdays and all that. Sharon Lawson Bram were a delight to work with uh, probably Canada's best-known children's entertainers. The thing that I liked about working with them is that they treated the music seriously. A lot of kids' music is produced like, oh, it's just for kids, you know, so the care, the care is not taken. With their albums, care is taken. We hired the best musicians, the best arrangers. We always had something in every album with them that the parents would enjoy. Uh, and this song here, the Unbirthday song, is an example of that, I think. Well, you know, the interesting thing about children's entertainers is that that usually find musicians at the same time. I mm -hmm. mean, Fred Penner would be a classic example Indeed. of, of yeah. somebody that you go to a festival and enjoy Fred Penner in the gospel session. Yes. Or when he's, you know, performing for an audience of all ages, you know, his playing is fine. I mean, yeah. he is just a top-class performer. Yep. But we've also seen it from other people. I, You know, when I go to the folk conferences, I love watching the children's performers, because these are really talented individuals. The yep. fact that their audience, you know, may be a slightly different different demographic from what mm. we used to doesn't really change it at all. Yeah. 
And they're they're usually very good entertainers because they have to be to keep those kids <laughs> attention, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh and they're they're great. Uh, and Cheryl and Bram are, are are no exception. They're uh, they were brilliant live. And Sharon and Bram Lois passed away a few years ago and sadly and uh, Sharon and Bram have carried on and they're on just uh, finishing up a farewell tour. They're hanging up their spurs after all these years. Let's play that just now. This is Sharon, Lois, and Bram with the Unbirthday song from the 1988 album Happy Birthday. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, a very special Folk Roots Radio with Paul Mills, and I'm Jan Hall. Statistics prove, prove that you've won birthday. Just one birthday every year. But there are 364. 65 in leap year. Unbirthdays. That is why we're gathered here to cheer. A very merry unbirthday to you. To you? A very merry unbirthday to you. To someone, and I guess that you will do a very merry unbirthday to you. Wait a minute, now it's my yeah, turn. I got a verse. A very merry unbirthday to us. To us? Uh-huh. A very merry unbirthday to us. The three of us. If there are no objections, let it be unanimous. I agree. A very merry unbirthday to us. I have someone in mind, someone I know singing. well. A very merry unbirthday to me. To you? To you? I could build a bridge I'd carry you my love Across this barren ridge If there were just some way I'd pull a carriage through the snow Take you over Kelly's Mountain To the village there below And no one would ever know Oh, the snow was high again in the year of 1910 When I rode over Kelly's top from Lake Rador O'er the mountain I had come Without rapier, without gun To fetch my father's order from the Saint and store As I purchased my supplies A pretty maiden caught my eye Her beauty shone upon me like the sun As my heart melted away I heard somebody say That is the daughter fair of you, McGowan Well, she knew she caught my eye And she smiled as she walked by Saying, meet me when the stars come out tonight On the high road I will wait 
by old Don Campbell's gate And we'll sing a song of love there in the moon, moon light If I could only fly If I could build a bridge I'd carry you, my love Across this barren ridge If there were just some way I'd pull a carriage through the snow Take you over Kelly's Mountain To the village there below And no one would ever know I knew McGowan was a man With a very heavy hand And his daughter was the meaning to his life All her suitors they had come To the wrong end of his gun As long as he was living She'd be no man's wife But I met her neath the stars And I took her in my arms And she said, please take me with you when you go Beneath my father's cruel hand No longer I can stand I'll leave with you and he will never know If I could only fly If I could build a bridge I'd carry you, my love Across this barren bridge If there were just some way I'd pull a carriage through the snow Take you over Kelly's Mountain To the village there below And no one would ever know Gunshot broke the still And I felt the pain burn deep within my side She said, my God, we have to run My father has a gun And he'll never let you take me as your bride In my pain I slipped and fell And it wasn't hard to tell That McGowan cursed my soul out far behind I pulled her sobbing to my breast Saying, here I've come to rest But there's something that I wish before I'm dying if you could only fly If you could build a bridge You'd carry me, my love Across this barren ridge Please tell my father why You had to bury me in the snow Near the top of Kelly's Mountain Where the winds forever blow Or no one will ever know Kelly's Mountain, where the winds forever blow, or no one will ever know. That's J.P. Cormier with Kelly's Mountain from his second album, Another Morning, another album that was produced by Paul Mills, our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. He's joining us in the studio. Hi, Jan. <laughs> The sound of that was was amazing. I, I just love that. I mean, it's, I find myself almost giddy just listening to uh, it. Well, JP's an amazing player. I should say that album actually was co-produced by myself and Bill Garrett. 
and uh, we recorded it in Cape Breton at a studio called Lake Wind Sound. It was, it's a beautiful place to uh, to work. And JP was, uh, we were actually, Bill and I and Grit Laskin and Ken Whiteley were forming uh, this new record label called Borealis. And we were on the, the hunt for uh, artists. And JP came to our attention, so he was one of the first artists that Borealis signed. And Bill and I decided to produce it, and JP agreed. So it was a, it was just a, it was a pleasure to work with JP, an amazing player and singer and songwriter. And uh, on that on that cut, he's playing the, that lickety split guitar and uh, banjo, as well. And uh, yeah, that album's one of my faves. And he spent a lot of time down in the U.S. I think in his early days, right? Didn't he go yeah. down there when he was pretty young? When he was a teenager. He was born and raised actually in London, Ontario. Uh, it was not a happy childhood. Uh, he had he, lock, he says he used to lock himself in his room and learn how to play the guitar to get away from the yelling and screaming that was going on in his house. Anyway, but as a teenager, he ended up going down south, and he ended up actually on the Grand Old Opry stage, played there on several occasions. And he played a lot of sessions down there as well. Didn't yes, he? he did. Yeah. Yeah. Which which you can tell. I mean, as oh, a yeah. as a musician, there's certainly a virtuoso. There's absolutely no, no doubt about that. Also, a great fiddler. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Another one of those people that is identified with the Maritimes, and you don't realize he was actually born in Ontario. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to go back to the music with another fiddler, April Virch, mm-hmm. Ottawa Valley fiddling. Tell us a little bit about working with April. Well, April. Uh, uh, I met her, uh, she was playing with uh, a band out of Vancouver at the time when I met her and was talking about doing this, her first solo album and uh, asked if I would uh, work with her. So I agreed. It took me about a nanosecond to decide on that one. And she came to my home studio in Toronto and uh, and we did this uh, album together. She's a lovely, lovely person and a, an incredible fiddler. And she's still out there touring with a, a great band and, and very active. So it's uh, it was a lot of fun to work with her. And actually, my wife Bev came up with the title for this album, which is brilliant, I should say, Virtuosity. <laughs> it, is, it is a perfect title for an album. There's yeah. absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah. Tell us about the track we're going to listen to. Uh, this was uh, a track that she wrote for, um, I think it was her sister and her sister's husband. And it's kind of a tribute to them. It's her original composition. An incredibly talented performer. This is April Virch with the Thomas Reel from her album, Virtuosity, which came out in 2001 and I think was on Rounder Records. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Borealis uh, tried to woo her. We, we tried to get her to sign, but uh, Rounder Records ended up, I guess, making a better offer. <laughs> and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Paul Mills in the studio. Enjoy. Thank you. 
stitches in the hills and ditches For the hand and for the machine Blanket and running, plain and stunning Twelve to the inch for the keen But to pay my dues, the one I often use When my piece is out of kilter It's not hard to do, it's good for you The savior of the quilter When your seams don't match, do the frog stitch When they don't lie flat, do the frog stitch It only hurts a bit when you rip it, rip it, rip Don't take it to the tip, do the frog stitch When the piece won't fit, do the frog stitch You cut it wrong, it slipped, do the frog stitch Fix it as you go, or have another UFO Can't put it in the show, do the frog stitch Cat in your lap, feed dogs down Screamed yourself hoarse with another tuck found A birthday quilt for your niece But first you gotta get it by the quilt police Wrong sides together, do the frog stitch Trying to be too clever, do the frog stitch Your points are chopped, your neighbor quilted this block Your design is a flop, do the frog stitch With another tuck found A birthday quilt for your niece But first you gotta get it by the quilt police When your seams don't match, do the frog stitch When they don't lie flat, do the frog stitch It only hurts a bit when you rip it, rip it, rip Don't take it to the tip, do the frog stitch It only hurts a bit when you rip it, rip it don't take it to the tip, do the frog stitch. That's Kathy Miller, the singing quilter, with the frog stitch from her 2002 album, A Quilter's Embrace. Paul Mills is a special guest in the studio, and I think you produced that album and three others. Yeah, we, uh, we did a total of four quilting albums with Kathy, out of a total of five that she made. Talk about a niche market. <laughs> but she was really successful at it. She ended up doing uh, these albums and taking her show on the road. She did quilting shows all over all over the world, really. She even did a quilting cruise once on a ship. And uh, she and her husband, John, would perform the material from these albums. And uh, and then they'd also teach quilting classes. So and she's a very good quilter as well. Was every song about quilting? Yeah. 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 There was... Uh, that one is, is fun because... Uh, if you make a mistake in quilting, you have to rip the stitches out, and so it's called the that's called the frog stitch because you rip it, rip it, rip it, <laughs> and uh, so the song's all about that. Yeah, but there's uh, there's some lovely songs about uh, the stories that quilts often tell and the, the kinds of people who are making quilts and for out of, for love of family and all that stuff, you know. So uh, there's quite a variety of material on those albums. 
So once you build a name as a producer, I mean, do you find that's a, a natural thing that people come up to you and say, hey, you know, I'd love to, I want to make another record, you know, mm -hmm. would you be willing to, to come in the studio with me? Is that how normally it would happen? Uh, that's the way it happened a lot, yeah. I was I was very gratified when people contacted me and, uh, and uh, asked if I would work with them. Most of the time I would say yes, you know, but I, it's important that I feel an affinity for the music. It would not be uh, right or honest of me to be working with somebody whose music I, I didn't like or whose uh, message I didn't believe or, you know, things of that nature. Fortunately, most of the people who came to me had music that I could relate to, and we ended up working well together. What was the most unusual project you got involved in? You know, bearing in mind we just talked about quilting albums. <laughs> what was the most unusual? I think that might qualify as one of the most unusual because it was, uh, it was an area that, uh, that I didn't uh, know anything about, but I learned a lot about it in the process of making the album. So, yeah, no, I can't think of other... Uh, I can't really... Nothing comes to mind that says here's a... A strange situation or whatever. When you got involved with Borealis Records, you were one mm -hmm. of the founders with Grit Laskin and Bill Garrett. And Ken Whiteley. And Ken Whiteley. Mm -hmm. And did you find that, you know, they, they have a great reputation. I certainly, I love them because I know that whenever they send me an album, it's something that I definitely need to, mm -hmm. to listen to. And, and quite frankly, I feel like I get buried in music week after week now mm -hmm. but you have people at borealis that you know that you need to listen to it their packaging is fabulous mm -hmm. you know that they've you know got some top-notch musicians involved and some great production yes uh, it must have been fun for you to be involved in those days it was great um now ken and i only uh, were with the company for a couple of years and i started to get i guess ken too started to get so busy with our production work that we didn't really have the time to devote uh, time we, that we should have devoted. So Bill and Grit, bless their hearts, have carried it on ever since. And they have fabulous criteria. You know, that they, when they sign an artist, uh, it has to be of a certain caliber or they don't get signed. So it's they've, they've kept the torch going. Well, that's all we have time for in this hour of Folk Roots Radio. That's the first half of our conversation with Paul Mills. We'll bring you the second half of the interview in a future episode with lots more great music. And thanks again to all of our radio partners who help us bring Folk Roots Radio to you each week. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. We'll see you next time.